Well, thank you uh, to the musicians for serving this morning and being down here very early to practice. That's always uh, an encouragement. Thank you for leading us so well. I'm going to keep uh, a copy of the notice sheet because um, I've never been called Tristan Style before. Uh, it sounds much better than Tristan Styles, um, but uh, yeah, no, it's Styles with an S. I'm Harry's younger brother. Um, we are going to be looking at Mark 14 this morning, and actually in terms of scripture, in terms of time, I would say to you that Mark chapter 14 marks the most important time ever in history. It's that time in history where we're in the shadow of the cross, and we see just what's going to happen to the Lord Jesus. And I guess the question that leaps out from this short section that we've just read together is simply this. What is Jesus worth to you? What is Jesus worth to you? Because we have one person in this story demonstrating that Jesus actually means everything to her. But I'm sure you spotted it as well. We also have another one whose actions say, you mean nothing to me other than what I can get from you. But what about you? What is Jesus worth to you? How do you express in your life how valuable Jesus is to you? I recently uh, sold a wooden box at auction. I've never sold anything at auction before. It was uh, a box that's been in our attic for I don't know how many years. I don't even know where it came from. It was just some wood. In fact, I was going to put it on the fire because I thought, you know, it's just wood. It's been there, and some of it's sort of rotten and stuff. It was still dry enough to burn. And I thought, do you know what? I'll just see that we've got an auction house in Market Harbour. I'll just see if uh, it's worth anything because it was really quite old. It had a date stamp on the front. I think it may come up if I press this button there. That's what it looked like. So it went to auction, and uh, I said to my wife, in its material value, just as the wood, it's probably worth no more than about 15 to 20 pence. But it's sold. Do you want to hear how much it's sold for? Seriously, do you want to know how much this rubbish box sold for? Well, keep listening and I'll tell you a bit later. <laughs> there is so much happening here in Mark chapter 14. And uh, as I said, this is certainly the most important time in history. One of the things that we mustn't forget when we're looking at scriptures like these, we, we can't forget that actually it's God who's orchestrating what's taking place here. This is the unfolding of a divine plan. It's no mistake. It's no revolution that's gone wrong. It's not a failed idea. This was established by Acts chapter 2, 23, says the predetermined purpose of God. Peter, just after Pentecost, preaches these words. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And then later into Acts chapter 4, the first Christians, as they pray to God, they pray these words. They did to Jesus what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So this is no mistake. All that we read here is actually part of God's plan for yours and my salvation. And as part of it, involved a meal with friends just shortly before Jesus 
was arrested. We're told here that it's just two days to go until Pentecost, um, until Passover began. Just go back to the beginning of the passage, and we'll see that the chief priests and the teachers of the law, these are those that should have really been spending their time preparing uh, for a time of worship and celebration um, because of Passover, were instead, depending on the translation you're looking at, were looking for a sly or a scheming way to have Jesus arrested and killed. But they're fearful. They're fearful of Jesus' popularity among the crowd, and they decide that it's too risky to do that during the feast. Jesus is in Bethany. That's just a couple of miles, maybe just short of two miles from Jerusalem, and he's at the house of someone called Simon the leper. I'm going to suggest to you this morning that isn't a name that he chose for himself, but it does tell us something about him. And it also is important to remember that this is a different Simon from another story which is quite similar that happens earlier on in Mark's Gospel, I'll mention in just a moment. We know that he's someone who Jesus healed, and we know that he's healed because he's hosting a party. He wouldn't be allowed to be among people otherwise. But there's also an incident with a sinful woman earlier on in Mark's uh, gospel that you may be thinking about, where Jesus went to the house of Simon the Pharisee. And in the past, people have confused these two things. These are very separate events, probably a couple of years apart. In fact, if you look at the one earlier in Mark's gospel, you'll see that the sinful woman there actually pours oil on Jesus' feet And it doesn't describe her going to the lengths that this lady went to. But it's after uh, Jesus gets there, they're sharing in a meal, that this woman arrives and she arrives with an alabaster jar full of expensive perfume. And it would have looked something like that. Now, if you go to John's Gospel, which also records this event, John tells us the name of this woman. He tells that this woman is Mary, the sister of Lazarus, and Martha. And that Mary enters mid-meal, which is unusual. She shouldn't have gone in at that time, because in those days, it was the men who reclined at the table and ate their food, and the women were not allowed to interrupt the fellowship of Jewish males, except to serve food. Anyhow, Mary, she's on a mission And she's allowed to go in there. And the significance of her action is huge. It's incredibly costly too. Because she carries this jar full of expensive perfume. It would have been considered a very generous gift if she'd gone in and just shared a little bit with Jesus. But actually she thought that he deserved the whole thing. And in an extravagant gesture of generosity... She breaks the jar open and she pours the perfume on his head, flowing down his whole body. But notice too that Mary didn't just pour out the perfume, she also broke the jar, which meant it couldn't be used again. This symbolizes the completeness of the gift that she offered to Jesus. Now some commentators will point out that the pouring out of this costly oil prefigures Jesus' pouring out of his precious blood for our sins. And what they mean by that is that nothing was withheld. Absolutely nothing was withheld. And in John's Gospel, he adds, the whole house was filled with the fragrance 
of perfume. How did the other guests respond? Did they say, good for you, Mary, well done, bravo, how generous of you? Well, no, not really. They looked on what was happening and they said, what a waste. There's Mary, keen to demonstrate her devotion to Jesus and she gets rebuked for being wasteful. Now, who exactly said that? If you read in Matthew's uh, Gospel and you read in Mark's Gospel and John's Gospel, there's a slight difference. Mark writes here, as you'll see, that it was some of them. Matthew, in his Gospel, says it was the disciples and John, in his Gospel, names one individual and that is the person of Judas. But whoever it came from, we need to know that this wasn't just some slight disapproval. They weren't saying, hang on a second, that's a bit of a waste. They actually react here very angrily. The word that's used indignantly is the same word that's used actually earlier on in Mark's Gospel in chapter 10 to describe how the other disciples responded when James and John said to Jesus, what we want is one of the cool seats in glory. We want to be in a a position of privilege. And it says there, the other disciples were indignant. And that same Greek word is used to describe anger, that they were angry. And actually, the disciples, some of them here, are angry because they think that Mary has just wasted so much. Judas, no doubt, whipped out his calculator And he names the price, a whole year's salary. Now, I don't know what you earn, but if you're in full-time employment at the moment, I'm sure you'll know what you earn. Just imagine for a moment what it would take for you to give an entire year's worth of your salary in an act of worship. It's quite staggering, isn't it? But, you know, people are funny about money, aren't they? They're not just funny about their own. I took my three uh, daughters out yesterday and uh, one of them had decided that what she really wanted was a rabbit from Waterstones. It's a little uh, teddy thing. And the other one wanted a a crybaby, something from B&M. And when they discovered how much the rabbit cost from Waterstones, the other two said, what a waste of money. (laughs) How can you waste your pocket money on that? But to her, it was worth it because she thought it had value. But people aren't just funny about their own money. They can even be funny about church money as well and church expenditure. Let me just tell you very briefly about one particular occasion that I'll never forget. Many years ago, there was a discussion to build a porch, a bit like the one behind me, outside a church that I was at. And the discussion that took place during meetings made the process of Brexit look simple. There were people who argued, there were people who were fighting, there were people who said we didn't need it. The purpose of the porch was quite simply this. It was on the ec- one of the exits to the church, which was closest to the road, and it allowed people to pull up and then to collect those that most needed it, mainly the elderly folk in the church, but also the disabled folk. And after months and months and months and months and months, nothing was being done. The church had a church weekend away and uh, it came back and as people were driving back into that particular part of South London, some of them noticed that there was a porch that wasn't there the week before. (laughs) And they were outraged. 
They were angry. They were indignant. They said, what's happened? We haven't agreed to this. And there was a church meeting called, and everyone gathered. I've never seen so many people at a church meeting, by the way. And those who were opposing it were very, very cross that this had been built. The pastor of the church at that time had had a visit from an elderly gentleman some months beforehand. And he said to him, Pastor, I'm so fed up with all the arguing and moaning and grumbling about this porch. I'd like to just go ahead and have it done myself and pay the bill. And it was a lot of money. And the pastor said, go ahead. And he did. And so he had his people come in during the church weekend away and put up this beautiful porch with oak beams. And it was incredible. When he shared the, uh, the news that it wasn't church money that had been wasted, but that you know, an individual very generously paid for it, it's amazing how quickly everybody became less angry. <laughs> and, uh, and that porch actually is still there to this day. And it's still serving its purpose. It's keeping people dry as they wait for cars to pick up. Let me just tell you my favorite part of this story. You must keep it to yourself, though. My favorite part of this story is I'd often walk past there after the church service is finished. And I would see those who were opposed to it and grumbled about it, standing underneath it, sheltering from the rain. (laughs) And I just thought, what a picture of God's grace. It's amazing, isn't it? People are funny about money. Well, the disciples felt that this woman's costly devotion was a waste, a waste of money. That's what they've said. It would seem that for some, even at this stage, they failed to kind of comprehend just how worthy Jesus is, but not Mary. We don't always understand other people's motives, do we? And we ought to be slow to judge and quick, quicker to understand. But Mary makes this incredibly generous offering. And I think it begs the question, what about us? What are we ready and willing to pour out in terms of our life for Jesus? I think for some of us, very often, we don't want to break the jar open. We say, well, Lord, we'll give you a bit. We'll give you some of this. We'll give you a lot even, but I kind of want to hold a bit back so that I can do things on my own terms. Mary, she pours out everything. If you've got your Bibles open, I hope you do. Just look back at verse 6, because Jesus' response here to the rest of the disciples is quite simply this. Leave her alone. You know, stop bothering her. And he says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. You see, to Mary, Jesus was worthy of her best affection. He deserved her all because she valued him so highly. As we'll see in a moment, not everyone present in that place saw Jesus that way. But she saw Jesus as being incredibly valuable. Remember that box I mentioned earlier? Someone was stupid enough to think that that was very valuable, and they gave £55 for it. £55 for a rubbishy old rotten box. Why? Well, because to them... (laughs) It had some value. And my point is simply this. If something is valuable to you, you'll give generously for it. Not just in monetary terms, but in terms of generosity, in terms of your time, in terms of your affection, in terms of your commitment, your respect, your loyalty, your devotion. If you value it, it could even be something as simple as a football team. But you'll find that your money and your time and your devotion is in that area. 
But Jesus, Jesus is more worthy than anyone and any of those things. And Mary knows that. Because we can quite easily, can't we, end up valuing the wrong stuff. We can end up valuing the home or the car or the job. Sometimes even a person. And if we start to treat such things as though they really are worthy of our, all our time, our energy and our devotion, then actually the truth is that they become an idol if they are put before Jesus. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, with your strength, your soul, with your mind, with your time, with your wallets and so on. Because Scripture tells us that Jesus has to be honoured with all we have. We can't hold back uh, or withhold our love or affection for him. Like Mary, we're to give him that precious ointment of our best affections. But this section doesn't finish here because just have a look down at verses 10 and 11 and we're presented here with something quite different. In fact, it's a complete contrast to Mary's offering. The tenderness, the kindness of Mary stands here in striking contrast to the treachery of the Jewish leaders and this man, Judas. Verse 10 says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. I think, and I've often read this, that that word then... In verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, Mark is using the word then to say, this is really the straw that broke the camel's back for Judas. Jesus wasn't who he wanted him to be. He he wanted him to have a different agenda, uh, one that was uh, completely different. And after this act that he witnesses with Mary, then he shops Jesus in. He says, that's it. Now, the danger is we can become very quick to point the finger and say, how dare he? But we kind of need to remember that actually there is a Judas in all of us too. We must be careful because just because we're intimate with Jesus today doesn't mean that we will be faithful tomorrow. We're not saved by our good deeds. We're saved by his. As Paul writes to the church in Corinth, this is chapter 10 if you're making notes, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Because it's when pride and a sense of self-righteousness enters our hearts, as though we're good enough in our own right, that we're most likely to fall. But we're to be completely devoted to Jesus. Why? Because he is worthy. Is your devotion to Jesus costing you anything? That's often a good question to ask. What does it cost me? What does it cost me in terms of my time? Do I have to give stuff up? Do I say, no, I'm going to go to church instead of going to rugby or football? Am I going to miss my favorite television program because there's a prayer meeting happening? Am I going to put down my favorite book so that I can pick up God's word? Is there ever a lesson to be learned, not necessarily here, but from the disciples through their lives, through the cross and after the cross, is that God is always willing to give another opportunity to give of ourselves. Maybe it's that some of us need to do that today. We know deep in our hearts we've become complacent. We've made excuses. 
So often we fall into the habit of keeping up appearances, and yet inside we sense there's an emptiness, there's something missing. But it's never too late to turn back to Jesus. And if there's that true of us today, then we need to have a closer look again at the cross. We need to see that Christ alone is worthy of our sacrificial worship. He's rightfully deserving of it because we are to love him with our all. Just before I wrap up, I would like to just mention four kind of footnotes regarding Jesus in a text here which I believe are important. The first one is simply this. Just go back to the beginning of Mark chapter 14. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away and the chief priests and teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or people may riot. And it was while he was in Bethany reclining at the table of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows that he's facing the cross. And notice here that although he's fully aware of his approaching suffering and his death, he doesn't become desolate and mournful. He doesn't retreat from everybody. Instead, he kindly accepts his invitation to be among friends. Let me just say, whatever you're facing at this time, don't let it distract you from fulfilling God's purpose in your life. So often we say, well, I'll wait until this is right. I'll wait until that's right. My health's not 100% at the moment, or my finances aren't quite right. Don't let those things hold you back from seeing God fulfill what he wants in your life. Jesus went and uh, accepted this meal with his friends, even though he could have just gone off and been on his own and been rightfully mournful and so on. Secondly, he affirms here, doesn't he, Mary's sacrificial act of worship. Have a look at verse 6. She has done a beautiful thing to me. Something that symbolizes preparation for my burial. Such gestures never go unnoticed by the Lord. If you're someone who sweeps up after everyone's gone home from here, if you're someone who does the weeding outside, if you're someone who does something that's not really noticed, he notices. And those gestures, those acts of kindness don't go missed by the Lord. Lastly, notice that the Lord predicts, doesn't he, that where the gospel is going to be preached throughout the world, then her story would be shared. That's one of the last things he says. And it's true, isn't it? Because it's come true again today. We are sharing in her story. This passage shows us that devotion to Jesus isn't straightforward. In fact, let me see if I can get these up. Yeah, there you go. Devotion to Jesus is going to be costly and sacrificial. It isn't going to be something that comes easy to us. We can also guarantee that if we are going to be completely devoted to Jesus, it isn't going to be approved by everybody. There'll be people that say, you're wasting your time going to church. You're wasting your time with your faith. It'll be disapproved by a man, but approved by God. Because we have these words here. 
she has done a beautiful thing to me. The last uh, point from that particular slide is that we read in Luke chapter 6 that such commitment actually will be rewarded. If you're devoted to Jesus, then you will be rewarded for doing so. But as we close, let me ask just a few questions. Questions I've already asked, but questions that I hope you have time to reflect on today. The first one is simply this. What is it that you do that demonstrates how devoted you are to Jesus? What is it you do that demonstrates how devoted you are to him. Secondly, and I hope this is true of all of us, me included, is your worship of Jesus beautiful in his eyes? And lastly, what will be said about your life in relation to your love and devotion of God? What will be said about your life This woman, Mary, we're still talking about her life, as Jesus said today. But we all have an opportunity to leave that legacy, to leave a mark, for people to say, that person there, they were really devoted to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the authority of your word which speaks into our hearts. We thank you that your Holy Spirit never condemns but does want to convict when there are things that we need to put right. And we ask that you would do that work in our hearts today. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, that you would build us up as individuals, but also as a church here, that we may serve you in a way that pleases you, in a way that blesses you. Father, that we would serve you, and through serving you, we'd serve one another, and we'd serve the community in which we live. And Father, we pray above all that the Lord Jesus would be glorified in our own lives, in the life of the church, in the life of the church across the UK, and that you'd help each one of us this morning to hear from you, to know how you want us to respond, that we would leave this place as people who have been changed, changed by your word and through the power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.